Tech Talk. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Tech Talk. Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, does it make sense to buy an EV? in the era of rising energy prices. We'll hear from Fitpink, the Donegal athleisure brand, on the realities of e-commerce in 2022. Plus, the African Professional Network Ireland will talk about its growing community. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. As I'm sure you're aware, Budget 2023 was unveiled earlier this week and while it's been described as a giveaway budget, many of us around the country still have serious concerns relating to the cost of living with the price of energy featuring at the top of that list. So does it make sense to buy an EV while prices are on the up? Derek Riley is the general manager of Nevo.ie and he's with me now. Uh, Derek, the concern is real, right? Absolutely, yeah. Just running your house in general, uh, it's going to be the ability to be able to charge your car. When can you charge your car? So we're hearing a lot of different, what happens when the electricity goes up, a lot of people jump on the bandwagon and they say, oh, it's not going to be as cheap now to run your electric car. But that's not the case. There are some great EV tariffs out there currently from energy providers. And so the ability to charge your car at home is still the most cost effective way to get around, notwithstanding that the cost of that electric vehicle is a bit more expensive than a a combustion engine equivalent. But even the likes of yesterday, we have the MG4 all electric hatback coming in at starting price of around twenty seven and a half thousand euros. And so when you're starting to get good value electric vehicles and the ability to pick a tariff that you can charge your electric vehicle at a certain time, it's starting to still make that sense uh, with regards to the cost of running uh, the vehicle. Yeah, I read a story during the week and it showed, it was new figures that showed that the price of charging an electric car uh, using a rapid public charger has risen risen more than 42% in just four months. So that's in the UK. Um, that That's a significant jump in very short time, uh, time frame. Yeah, what we're finding is because of that uh, war in Ukraine, etc., and that gas price, and because a lot of energy is based on the highest commodity that's producing it, so at the moment it's gas, so even though renewable energy may be being produced at a cheaper price to make that energy, we're all tied into the most expensive one, which at the moment is gas because of the war in Ukraine. And there's a lot of fear mongering going on at the moment with regards to it's costing X amount to fill up your electric vehicle on the high powered public network, etc. Be that in the United Kingdom, be that in Ireland. Um, But the reality of it is 80, 90 percent of your charging is going to be done at home at that cheaper domestic tariff. But when you are out and about, yes, it's getting a bit more expensive, but it's still nowhere near the price of of having to fill up with petrol or diesel, which are also fluctuating in price as well, like electricity. Yeah, so let's just try and give that perspective that you're just talking about there now, because headlines are obviously great at at scaring people a little bit. And I do think that, you know, we have heard issues around energy costs um, extensively over the last little while, which is right. But put it in in perspective of, you know, what, like a standard family car type thing, you know, paint the different scenarios and try and give us some numbers so that people don't freak out just yet. So what we're looking at is, first of all, the ability to charge at home. So we always try and say that if you have an electric vehicle in the ideal situation, it is the ability to charge at home and you can fill up your electric vehicle. And what we'll use is that 100 kilometre 
um, range vertical. Uh, so you can do 100 kilometers in a, with a, in a certain EV tariffs. You're talking around about two, three euros. Okay. So that's your domestic tariff. Then if you're going out onto a public, what we'd say AC, you bring your own cable, you plug it in, destination chargers. So you might see these at golf courses or supermarkets or out and about on the side of the street. It's not the fastest of charging, but it's a public amenity, et cetera, et cetera. And so you're going to be able to fill that up with uh, for 100 kilometers for around five or six euros on the ESP network as one of the networks here in Ireland. So so again, the headlines are saying one thing, but if you actually crunch the numbers, um, for the new 50 kilowatt charge again from the ESB for 100 kilometers, you're talking around about six euros. And so that's a fast-ish charging uh, of your car. You're probably going to get from 10 to 80% in around about 40 minutes. And then if you want to go super fast on the ESB network with 150 kilowatts, you're talking nearly seven euros to fill to, to do 100 kilometers. Not to fill up, but to do 100 kilometers. So what we've done here at Nevo.ie is that we've crunched the numbers, we've taken the rates, we've taken the WLTP range and efficiencies of electric vehicles. And these are the kind of figures that we're looking at. For the equivalent in a petrol or diesel, if you wanted to say, if you're sitting at home going, sounds really good. Why? What, how much is it costing me at the moment? The average is around about 13, 12, 13 euros. So even on the uh, high power ESB 150 kilowatts, it's still roughly 50% as cheap as running a petrol or diesel uh, equivalent vehicle. Is there fear factor or potential that the the cost of the EV charging could go up again? Yes, because it's linked to that, uh, whatever the network is. So in the UK, you have a lot more private entities and we have a couple of those here in Ireland with the likes of Ionity and EasyGo. Um, we're Nevo, we're also looking into that space, but these charge point operators have to buy their energy at a wholesale price, but that wholesale price is fluctuating as well. And again, because it links to the price of gas, it is going to increase and so some of the networks in the united kingdom it's a one pound per kilowatt whereas at the moment here in ireland you're talking it's looking at uh you know it's the 50 60 cent you know would be the, the around the average there are some networks that are charging over 70 cent per kilowatt so when you see networks in the united kingdom which are of a slightly different political situation going on there with the energy price cap etc but when a price per kilowatt of one pound has been floated around then you're starting to look at, OK, hold on a second. If I only filled my electric vehicle on these super high powered motorway services, et cetera, et cetera, then it's not feasible to run your car uh, electric vehicle on an ongoing basis like this. It actually would be cheaper with a petrol or diesel. But we're not taking into the into account the environmental impacts of it as well. But there is that monetary side. But 80, 90 percent of people are going to charge at home or have the ability to charge at home or even on those slower street chargers you're still saving a huge amount of money on the on the day-to-day running of the of the vehicle. Mm. We've spoken obviously a lot of times over the last few years about what people need to consider when they're buying an EV and I from you know anecdotally from talking to people it doesn't seem to be one reason that people go for an EV. Like it's never just to save the money or it's never just for the environmental reasons. It, it kind of needs to be not ticking all the boxes, but certainly a good 80% of the boxes for it to make sense to people. Um, do you think that this, the the sort of uncertainty around the pricing might impact people going green? Or what do you think? I think if there was enough electric vehicles on the forecourts of Ireland today, 
they'd still be sold out. And at the moment, we cannot get enough electric. There's so much demand for people looking to buy electric vehicles. And we're hearing 10 months, we're hearing 12 months wait times on certain brands and certain certain models. And so the people are getting it. They understand, okay, cheaper to run, cheaper to service, not cheaper to buy initially, but likes of the MG4, like we talked about. So you're getting that hatchback. You know, you're getting an equivalent size car family hatchback for that twenty seven and a half thousand that's roughly the same price as as your traditional combustion engine hatchback so now people can make the choice of okay i'm not having to pay that price premium of going electric so buying the initial or leasing it or whatever it may be is the same price but i'm saving on the running on it i'm saving on the on the on the servicing of it and it's not always about cost like you say jess it could be environmental factors i know that if i'm bringing the kids to school i'm not polluting the environment around me and so yes there's a lot of factors in place there but more and more even with the price of energy going up and listen prices will always fluctuate with that fuel petrol diesel electricity we don't have a but with electric vehicle you also have the ability to charge your car at home on solar that you already have on the house and it can direct that energy which is costing you nothing after you've paid for the solar into your electric vehicle and so the positives so much more outweigh the negatives of the electric vehicle and and running electric vehicles Uh, i think if there were enough evs available you'd see double if not triple the amount on the road at the moment yeah i was in a taxi this morning and it was the volkswagen id4 i think it was and i was chatting to the driver and he he was kind of saying it's a no-brainer for someone like him to have an electric vehicle because he does little runs around dublin and he's not spending a fraction of what some of the other drivers are spending yes he has to factor in charge time and all the rest but he has that built into his day And, you know, people like that, those types of scenarios, it just makes pure sense, particularly when drivers are being incentivised to go green as well. Absolutely. And the government grants won't be there forever. And there's some phenomenal incentives at the moment if you can get the incentive and you can also get the vehicle. Um, And so what we're finding is that education piece. And it's great been chatting to you over the last couple of years, just so that people are more and more aware. And it's not just cars, it's commercial vehicles like taxis, but also like vans. And so businesses who think there isn't a vehicle out there that suits my needs, you just have to start asking the questions. What other businesses are doing it? Be that on post, be that the taxi driver, be that your uh, online delivery uh, expert. I, I won't mention the name. We all know who it is. But they're all, and they're doing it for uh, environmental sense, but they're also doing it for business sense. As much as there's the initial upfront cost and it is a bit more expensive, all of these businesses are crunching the numbers and looking at that TCO, total cost of ownership. And we need to start doing that ourselves because buying a car is the probably worst financial decision that you can make in your life because it sits outside your house for 98% of the time. And for the 2% of the time that you need it, it's great. It does this, it does that. But as a depreciating commodity, it's probably the worst thing. Now, the taxi driver that you were chatting to this morning, at least he or she or they are making a bit of money on the back of it. Mm -hmm. A lot of us buy these cars and unfortunately they depreciate. But again, another benefit of an electric vehicle, because there's so much demand in it, the second hand price for electric vehicle has gone through the roof because some people. Has it? I was going to ask you that now. Explain to me a little bit about that, because we I think we spoke before. Is it around a seven year battery cycle or whatever it is that that you're kind of guaranteed to get a good um, run out of the battery? So after like, what's the oldest second hand EV that you'd buy without factoring in the cost of getting a new battery? Like. 
all of these, like you can run a what's called a state of health, SOH report on these electric vehicles. So you can get a Nissan Leaf or a Renault Zoe or an older Tesla from 2010. That's a 12-year-old electric vehicle. And you might get a report to say that the state of the health in the battery is 65, 70%. And so the range might only be 80 kilometers. But if your daily commute is only 30 kilometers each way, that's absolutely perfect for you. So you don't need to worry about replacing the battery or upgrading the battery. And like you said, Jess, a lot of these manufacturers now, to take away that fear and that worry from potential EV buyers, they're going, oh, I've heard the horror story of somebody having to replace the battery. I've only heard, and I'm doing this now in nearly five years, I've only heard of one person ever having to replace their battery. And yes, it was expensive, but all day, every day, cars and engines are being replaced in vans and lorries and buses and we don't hear anything about that but you hear this one story about a battery having to be replaced in an electric vehicle and the newer ones now have the ability of changing the individual modules inside and so i'm not saying that these things don't happen and i'm not trying to gloss over the fact but you will get certain parts of the media and certain people that don't like change on social media saying oh i've heard this story or look at this picture of this big field of electric vehicles that aren't being used anymore but actually there's a story behind that story and people that are able to do their own research and have a couple of brain cells there are able to say you know what there's so much going on in this space and everybody else is doing it. i'm not saying that it's all right don't get me wrong it's only the the, the way we should do it now um, but uh, there's so much more positives to it and look, there's no um, vehicle that I think is 100% ideal in terms of the production and the waste and all that kind of stuff yet. However, there are less emissions from an EV that, like on a day-to-day basis. That's just the way it is. Um, for example, if you had a, a 2017 EV and I was looking to buy an EV in 2022, would you say that it would be a safe enough bet for me to buy that 2017 EV from you? Probably it's safer than buying a combustion engine because again you can run that state of health report. So if it's a if it's a good dealership or a good reputable wherever you're buying it, every car comes with an OBD2 port, which is just you know, underneath the steering wheel, which is like a diagnostic port. So when you bring it into the garage and they're running the checks when you're getting it serviced, but you can get a report where they plug in a little dongle into that and they can give you okay, just so you know, when this battery was new, it had. 250 kilometers in 2017 now it's you know it's five years on it actually only has now 180 of a capacity left is that good enough for you jess and jess goes yeah i only need 100 kilometers a week or whatever it may be so under occurs with an engine you don't know if it's going to blow up tomorrow because there as much as you can do horsepower tests and rolling road tests etc etc actually electric vehicles there's not many places to hide because once you run the report on the battery then you know the state of health of the battery and it's about minding it it's about looking after it the car itself the chassis etc might be perfect and you have the opportunity if you wanted to to upgrade that battery on certain models there's a couple of social enterprises out there around ireland there's one down in kildare called range therapy to counteract range anxiety and what Eamon and the team down there do is they take Nissan Leafs from what you know 2010 onwards and if you have one that has a smaller battery and you want to upgrade it you can go to Eamon and Eamon will put in a bigger capacity battery into the same shape of the existing battery and it might eat up a small bit of your boot but the opportunity is there and what we're seeing is that circular economy and the utilization of that car has already been made a 2010 leaf the carbon emissions that it took to build it back then after four or five years it's probably neutralized itself and the fact that it doesn't emit any more emissions now 
So it's the perfect second-hand electric, uh, second-hand vehicle because there's nothing coming out of the tailpipe. Yes, there are tire particulates. Yes, there are brake disc particulates. So it's not emission-free. It's emission-free from the tailpipe. But yet the opportunity to start retrofitting, upgrading, and we're starting to see a shift of a bit of a cottage industry into taking existing combustion engine vehicles and moving them over to an electrified version. But there's a bit of a scale of economics there currently at the moment yet. Mm, okay. You make a very, very con- uh, convincing case for EVs as always. I always enjoy talking to you because it's food for thought. I think a lot of us, particularly, you know, people around my age and younger, of course, are more environmentally aware than ever before. I recently wrote for the Business Post that although I love technology, I do feel sometimes feel bad because like the the smartphone, for example, the amount of emissions that come from taking a smartphone from a concept to your pocket is massive. And we all do need to be that bit more aware. And although I'm talking about new phones all the time, doesn't mean you have to go out and buy one. Like you can all go out to somewhere like Swappy and buy an iPhone. You can go to Back from the Future and buy a refurbished laptop. There are ways around it. And I do think this innovation and new way of thinking when it comes to EVs and upgrading and that modular approach, it just makes sense, doesn't it really? And it's not just about electric cars, as much as we talk about electric cars and a sprinkle of electric buses, but it's e-mobility. And, and yeah. on, on my YouTube channel, it's e-bikes all the way up to everything else. And so the technology that might be used in that super nice electric vehicle today may roll down into an electric bike down in the future or vice versa. And it's about getting out there. And like you're saying, we're all more environmentally conscious. There's more active travel. We want to see more electric buses on the road and electric vans. But if you do have to take that car journey and there is no other way of doing it, ideally, if it was in an electric vehicle, uh, everybody would be more appreciative of it. Yeah. Well, if you want to watch uh, any of those YouTube videos, you can head over to the EV Review Ireland YouTube channel or obviously find all of this great knowledge on Nevo.ie, where Derek Riley is the general manager. Uh, Derek, thanks so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thanks, Jess. Coming up next here on News Talk, we'll hear about the reality of e-commerce in 2022. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. He doesn't do things conventionally, but then again, none of the great managers do. He's proven he belongs in the game. He didn't know a thing about football, but that didn't matter. He's someone you just can't help but root for. He knows how to block out the noise. He's a great manager and an even better man. And if you tell him I said that, I will brain you. Yeah, that is my beloved Ted Lasso in FIFA 2023. I haven't heard any other snippet of the game. I haven't seen any gameplay footage beyond the trailer, but obviously I'm quite excited. Uh, The next series of Ted Lasso is due on Apple TV or Apple Plus or whatever it's called uh, this autumn, Uh, but anything that features AFC Richmond gets my seal of approval. Now, on to one of the industries that did rather well during the pandemic, which was the world of athleisure wear. Jenny Timoney is the woman behind FitPink, a Donegal-based brand that continued to grow over the last number of years. But how are changes in the world of e-commerce impacting Irish businesses? Uh, Jenny, you're very welcome to the show. Before we talk about the world of e-commerce, tell us a little bit about your brand. Sure. So we um, launched FitPink back in late 2019. Uh, we're a female-focused activewear brand with strong emphasis on functionality. So for example, our products are all sweat-proof, uh, squat-proof. They wash really well and they don't slip down um, and fit. So it's really important to us that our products um, fit perfectly on the vast majority of female bodies. 
Um, so yeah, we, we started late 2009, we grew fairly rapidly over the pandemic, and now we have um, a really you know, strong and growing customer base in Ireland and across into the UK. Mm. And so, you know, launching a business in 2019, obviously we all know uh, what came next in terms of 2020, 2021 and the early part of 22. Um, But talk to me a little bit about deciding to move into this space, because there are brands who are well established and big names in the athleisure space. But as you said, your focus is on, you know, uh, athleisure wear that does the job in that, you know, you don't have to pull them up every two seconds. They're high quality. They're built to last. Was it, you know, daunting to move into this space where there are those big players that I've already referred to? Um, I don't think it was, Jess, and I'll tell you what. Well, my last business was food and it was short shelf life, no margin, um, you know, and very cost intensive. So really coming into a product that doesn't have a shelf life and um, that has good margins and that really engages people, um, you know, is a, is a much easier proposition for me to, to try and grow and sell. So um, you're right, it's a very competitive space, but we believe that because it's the fastest growing category in apparel, um, that there's lots of room for lots of different suppliers. And um, I think too, that there were a lot of um, brands kind of popped up in the pandemic um, literally overnight. And I don't think all of those will survive the, the next year ahead. Um, so I think there'll be some um, almost sort of like a, you know, uh, rationalization of, of the, the brands that are there on offer. Um, and the strongest I think will survive into the future. Yeah, absolutely. There are a few considerations from a consumer's point of view when it comes to buying athleisure wear. And obviously you look for recommendations, you look for high quality products, but how they're displayed online really does matter. Um, So the first thing you see when you go onto a website matters. If there's star ratings, that matters. How did you go about curating the perfect online representation for what your business is to try and showcase all the different boxes that you set out to tick you're absolutely right there are um it's an absolute science e-commerce itself and really when i started we we wanted to build a very clean responsive website so i was quite aware that um a growing amount of traffic was going to websites from a mobile device and so i was conscious at the start to optimize for mobile and i think that was the the right thing to do and even now we're making changes on the website um, and we're looking at different options we actually pick up our mobile phones and view the site on our phones rather than on a desktop because for us over 95 percent of our traffic is from a mobile device Um, so that was our first thing was to make it um, mobile friendly um, and I think over time you know at the start you're very much focused on how it looks and how your products are represented represented in photographs and so on but over time we've become very aware of the user experience so it's less about um, the brand uh, you know it's, it's taken as a given that the brand looks really well and products look really well but over time now we're really starting to focus in on user experience and um, you know we're removing obstacles from the site and making it easier to find products, making it more intuitive for customers, um, helping them add to cart um, and check out in as, as few steps as possible. So for us now, at the start, we kind of added on lots of things and now we're, we're stripping back things actually and trying to make things more simple. That does come across when you're on the website. As I'm talking to you now, I'm on it. And straight away, you are met with images of the different products. When you tap into the leggings, for example, you know, there's the, the reviews there. You can see the price. You can select the leg length. You can scroll down and you can get more information if you require it. Um, when you talk about stripping away some of those other elements, is that based on 
um, consumer feedback. Can you see people's uh, behaviour when they go onto the website and you, can you see what was clutter and what people were searching for? We can, yeah. So we can see quite a lot through our Google, Google Analytics and our Google Search Console and other kind of tools um, that show us how people behave on the site and how long they spend on various pages. Um, so yeah, we, we kind of looked at our add to cart page in particular, or sorry, our product page in particular, and realized that it was quite cluttered. We were offering almost too many options. Um, so things like uh, gift wrapping, that didn't have to be an option at that stage. We could show that as an option later on or elsewhere on the site. Um, so we would, we would do quite a bit of user testing as well with different uh, pages with an element on one page and taking off the element on a separate page to see which performs better. So yeah, it's, it's a balance between offering as much choice as possible, but at the same time keeping the user experience um, easy and seamless. Uh, one thing that happened during the pandemic that was great for Irish businesses, such as yourself, because we should acknowledge you're from Donegal. Andrew would give out to me. Uh, Andrea Gilligan would give out to me if I don't mention Donegal in this piece. But um, a lot of people looked to shop local and buy local and support Irish businesses. Was that part of the marketing of the business when you, uh, you know, were getting going to showcase to people that you can support a local business and get really nice athleisure wear as well? You know, at the start, that didn't really occur to me as something that we should promote. Um, you know, I, I figured that the customer will buy the best product at the best price, uh, regardless of, of where the, the, com- the, the company was based. And um, I really noticed that that came to the fore during the pandemic. So we started getting messages through our social channels from customers saying, is this an Irish company? Love the look of those leggings. Is this an Irish company? Am I buying from an Irish company? Whereabouts are you based? Um, so, you know, people in Ireland really became so conscious of that during the pandemic um, and really did. You could see them really wanting to support Irish companies. Um, so it certainly does help that, that um, we're based in Ireland. And I think it's probably something we should probably promote um, more than we do. Yeah, I do. I notice even amongst my friend group, that is something that has, you know, stuck on post pandemic. People are asking a few more questions in terms of, you know, is this an Irish company? Like, where do you stand in terms of environmental issues? All of those things, I think, really matter to the the consumer now. Um, You mentioned your social channels. How important is or was social media when you were getting started to get the message out there? And did you, you know, maybe engage in influencer marketing or what was your strategy? So, yeah, the, when we started, I had assumed that Facebook would be the most important channel. Um, but for us, actually, we started on both Facebook and Instagram around the same time. And I would have put more time and effort from, from my own resources into Facebook. But as it happened, Instagram really took off for us much faster than, than Facebook did, um, which was interesting. You know, we find that Facebook ads work really well for us, but Instagram is where we get the most interaction from customers. So um, we, do, we just don't get the same level of interaction on a Facebook page where we do on Instagram. We see people um, commenting. We get a lot more comments uh, and messages through Instagram than we would Facebook. So that, that's been interesting. Um, we're kind of experimenting now with TikTok. Um, we've, we're on Pinterest. Pinterest sends a bit of traffic, but we haven't um, really kind of, it, it's, it's not as strong as the other channels would be for us. Um, TikTok's an interesting one. Be Real is an interesting one. Um, it's yet to be seen. It's very new, but it's yet to be seen how brands are going to leverage Be Real. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. 
Absolutely. The um the, the idea of using Facebook and Instagram, it is great. And particularly for beautiful products like yours, obviously they're visual mediums, so that does help. Um, there's been a lot of talk about algorithm changes and understanding what it takes to get your brand in front of the eyeballs of consumers. Has that been a challenge and have you had to maybe, you know, employ more social media experts than maybe you did in your previous business? We, we, well, we don't use any social media experts. We're a small team. There's three of us here based in Donegal, um, myself, Laura and Emma. And, you know, we would do all of these things in-house. Um, I would say that we would really have felt an, a very immediate effect of the Apple iOS 14 update, uh, which happened sort of the summer last, last year, around June last year, I think it was. Um, that was probably the only algorithm update we really noticed an immediate change from. Um, we would have been heavily dependent on Facebook um, for our traffic at that stage. And it, it really was a slap in the face, um, you know, when a lot of that kind of traffic disappeared overnight. So, you know, we, it, it took us a while to sort of realize um, what was happening. And we've, you know, since I suppose recovered from that, but lesson learned for us was not to become too dependent on any one channel. Um, so we kind of really broadened out our, our approach now and our reach and where we where we put content and where we engage customers. And um, apart from that, you know, yes, there's algorithm updates happening all of the time. Um, Instagram is an absolute mystery. It's very, very hard to figure out um, algorithms there. But really, we're trying to focus less on algorithms and more on creating engaging, meaningful content um, and offering customers strong, a really strong value proposition. Um, and I think if, if we can engage customers over the long term with our content, algorithms become you know, less important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to just touch briefly on... I suppose, some of the real world challenges that every industry is uh, either worried about or already feeling the impact of um, how, like, have you felt a pinch in the last little while? Are, are there clouds on the horizon in terms of engaging with suppliers and logistic companies or anything like that? Um, yeah, so we, you know, right, costs is, is a huge part of it. I mean, as you said, it's not exclusive to e-commerce, but shipping costs for us um, at the start were you know, a, a tiny, almost, a, you wouldn't even notice what you were paying in shipping. But yeah, you know, post-pandemic, that has really increased enormously. Um, energy costs we're really noticing. Um, the strengthening dollar has impacted us because we were buying in dollar. Um, but, you know, I think the biggest um, impact is going to be felt by, by our customers. Um, and obviously, when... I suppose economic uncertainty is, is making shoppers increasingly wary of, of what they open their wallets for. Um, and I think that makes it quite challenging for new brands like ours to convert traffic to customers. So our kind of approach to that and how we try to mitigate that is things like offering a really simple, no hassle, 30-day returns policy, um, you know, building trust through exceptional customer service. Um, you know, for example, so we would say turn around an exchange on the same day we receive it um, and same goes for returns. So that's that's challenging. It's, it's challenging for business and it's challenging for, for our customers and for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned there that there's only three of you on this team. Um, what are the plans for the future as, you know, the business continues to grow? So, yeah, we are looking to really push further into the UK um, the rest of this year and into next year. And, of course, continue to build in Ireland. Um, we have a, a UK website set up and that's that's doing quite a few sales already. So we see a big opportunity to, to really grow out and push out into the UK next year and Europe the following year. Um, and we're looking to sell into more wholesale retail locations. 
Uh, we've done, you know, we supply quite a few independent sports stores in Ireland and uh, the likes of Shaw's down in Wexford and Waterford doing more of that. Um, and really, you know, we're very lucky in that it's the kind of product that if um, a customer likes, they tell other people. So we would really get um, a huge amount of value out of word of mouth marketing that that's it's probably the hardest thing to measure. Um, and when you're used to digital marketing, everything else is measurable. But um, we really know that word of mouth really works well for us. And the more people that obviously try our products, the further the word spreads. So we, we really believe that there's a huge opportunity for, for our brand um, in, in the future. Just briefly, you mentioned there about dealing with some of the independent retailers around the country, which is great. And it's always nice to see, you know, that the Irish products in our stores. As the woman behind the brand, um, what do you get more thrill from looking at your analytics or seeing the products in a physical store? Oh, seeing the products in a physical store, <laughs> I have to say. Um, analytics are a necessary evil, but nothing beats um if i'm out and about so i was in in dublin yesterday um and walking past the aviva stadium and i saw a woman walk past and think leggings and the hairs on the back of my neck still stand on end when i see people out and about wearing the brand so that's that's never gets old for me yeah well look it, it is a fantastic product uh, on the ey trip a number of the women uh were talking about your leggings and the fact that they stay up that they don't have to hoosh them up every three seconds that they feel comfortable but they also look great uh, so look we wish you every success with whatever comes next jenny and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon thank you very much jess take care Coming up next here on News Talk, we'll meet the team behind the African Professional Network Ireland about their upcoming event with LinkedIn. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up just after 6pm, John Fardy will be here with Screen Time. John, what's on the agenda this evening? Thank you, Jessica. Well, this week on the show, I will be talking to director Sasha King about her powerful new documentary, Vicky, all about Vicky Phelan. And it's a intimate and uh, inspiring portrait of her, I have to say. Laura O'Mahony, comedian, will be chatting to me about her favourite movie. And Mark Royal will be here with all the week's new releases on the cinema, on the big screen, including Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. Great stuff. Well, all of that is on the way after 6pm. Now, live events are back with a bang. We've had meetups in startup communities around the country. We've had award ceremonies and we'll have a very special event taking place on October 13th, hosted by African Professionals Network Ireland in LinkedIn, Dublin. Trina Dezunu and Lizzie Beecham of APNI are with me now to tell us more. Uh, You're both very welcome to the show. Trina, if I can start with you, just tell us uh, a little bit more about the African Professional Network Ireland. Yeah, thanks Jess for having us on. So we're a non-profit organisation and we set up back in 2016 um, to foster knowledge sharing, collaboration and empowerment between professionals and entrepreneurs from like diverse backgrounds. And we do this through initiatives we run such as our community mentorship program and through campaigns such as our recent mental health campaign with Black Ireland and through events such as our upcoming career day with LinkedIn on the 13th of October. So we're going to talk to Lizzie in a few minutes time about that event but before we get to that I'm curious to know a little bit more about the APNI in general because I had this conversation with my dad recently. I go to a lot of tech events around the world. I go to a lot of tech events around Ireland And while we are seeing more uh, diverse faces and more diverse voices at these events, they predominantly are still white Irish people, particularly at the ones in Ireland. And I'm intrigued to know 
how big is the diverse community that you guys are representing? And what are some of the barriers? Like, why isn't there greater representation? And I'm saying this from a complete point of, you know, privilege and I'll be honest, a bit of ignorance on this front. Why isn't there greater representation at some of those, the tech startup meetups and some of the other things that go on around the country? Yeah, no, that's a really great question. So AP and I ourselves, we have about 2000 members and we're continuously growing. Um, And I guess to answer your question on why there isn't representation is the reason why we set up API. Um, a lot of it has got to do with barriers to entry. Um, a lot of people who have, say, come from different countries and so on and so forth may just not have the connections that people who are born and raised in Ireland have. And because of that, it kind of hinders them or puts them a step back in making those connections and um, getting those jobs that people like of the right white race in Ireland would ordinarily get and, and also it's just about knowledge and as I said API is about knowledge sharing and um, a lot of the times people don't get those jobs because they don't know they exist or they don't have family members who work in those areas so a lot of what we do is just try to put to the fore and um, the professions that we're working in and you know get people in the know of things that they can apply for and encourage them to apply for them like growing up myself personally I was born in Ireland and I didn't really see anyone like me I work in the legal career um, in the legal field and I really had to kind of have a support group around me to be able to push those barriers and break into something that I didn't see myself in and sometimes that's all someone needs is to see someone like them in the career for them to go and pursue a career um, and then of course then in future we hope that more people will be represented in those tech um, conferences that you were mentioning there. Yeah and I think it's something that you know I've spoken about quite a bit as a woman in tech. So there's often that focus of up until a few years ago, you'd rarely see women. And so now that we are making inroads with women, we kind of have to keep on passing to other groups that aren't fully represented. So I think it's fantastic the work that you're doing. One thing I've noticed, and I'm sure you've seen it over the years as well, Trina, is at events like the Young Scientist every January, they have a brilliant mix of everybody. I feel like that event is truly representative of the diverse nature of Irish schools. And then obviously those kids are going to grow up and they hopefully won't see any barriers when it comes to gender, race, anything like that. It should just be become natural progression. So what can we do as adults to try and ensure that, you know, if people are either moving to Ireland or maybe they were born in Ireland but still don't have access to the right opportunities, what can we do to to improve that sense of inclusion, particularly if we are members of groups or organisations or clubs that are still, you know, majority white? Yeah, I think... A lot of it has got to do with having a really open mind. And that's why we're really excited to partner with the different companies that we're part- partnering with for our career day, is that they have an open mind in terms of who they're recruiting. And there's a lot of business owners and people who run businesses in Ireland. And if they have an open mind to who they're recruiting, then that's obviously going to change the face of many companies across the country. Um, but also kind of just... I guess, removing our um, preconceived ideas of people from different races, different backgrounds and nationalities in terms of their, I guess, capabilities, in terms of their knowledge, in terms of their skills. These are things that really have to work, like start from you and like work on so that, you know, when someone from a particular race comes into 
your company for an interview or when you see a particular name that um, is spelled differently to names you usually see that we don't automatically have a mental block but that we're very open to I guess learning from that person and only their their contribution to your company can be a great benefit because of their diverse background so I think again as I said it's about openness and thought and openness to diversity. Mm. And Lizzie, I want to bring you in here. So uh, Lizzie Beecham is the PR director for the African Professional Network in Ireland. Um, Lizzie, tell me a little bit about putting this event together. As Trina mentioned there, you've got a brilliant partner on board in terms of LinkedIn. Uh, but what's the goal and what exactly will happen on the day? Well, yeah, it's it's all guns are go for it. It's the inaugural uh, time that we're doing the career day event. So it really has been thinking, how can we get the best panel of companies together? So there'll be kind of two strands to the activity. There's going to be fireside chats and they're going to be, I think we've picked really interesting themes like navigating career transitions and salary negotiations that we hope will give people really practical advice that they can take away candid an ability to kind of get really useful tools and like how do I open up those conversations if I feel shy or if I'm maybe starting in a company that's in a hybrid environment how do I make an impression how do I get people to know who I am so I think our panel uh, and fireside chats are going to be really strong and a really kind of benefit and then they'll kind of be the traditional career fair kind of networking stands that we've got about 15 companies so a really broad mix Specifically in tech, we have Apple, Google, HubSpot, Workday, really strong kind of global employers who have bases in Dublin. And I suppose at those stands, it's just an opportunity for you to talk to the recruiters and get a bit more of background as to what they're looking for, what they're currently hiring for, for people who are maybe postgraduates or soon to graduate, maybe what are steps that they can take before they graduate that help kind of make their CV that bit stronger or kind of bring their experience closer to a little bit more uh, what a graduate entry role would be with those companies. So yeah, two strands, there's kind of the fireside chats, but then there's also the traditional stands where people can engage and speak directly with the recruiters from each company. Uh, Where is it taking place and how can people get tickets? So it's going to be in LinkedIn's office on Wilton Place in Dublin too, so just beside the canal. So not in a nice central location. And I think we're really excited to go into to LinkedIn's office and they've been a brilliant partner for the event. Everyone is excited for it, but I think it is great to have a great central location for people to come into the city for it. So it's going to be on the 13th of October, kicking off at 3 p.m. and running until 9. So earlier times in the day might suit for people, maybe students who have a bit of flexibility in their schedule. And then there's also going to be a huge part of the event that's going to after, you know, the half five, six window for people who are maybe working um, to kind of come down and join. And tickets are free. So it's a completely free event and you just need to go to our website. So that's APNI and just Google it. And then also look us up on LinkedIn as well, because we'll be sharing a breakdown of every company that's going to be there, a little bit more detail on the panels for the fireside chats. So yeah, give us a follow on at APNI Ireland. So APN and Ireland on Instagram. Fantastic stuff. Trina, before I uh, let you guys go, I just wonder... Uh, earlier in the show we were talking to Derek Riley about uh, EV so electric vehicles and going green and you know everybody has got environmental issues on their brain for employers listening to this now if they look around their office on Monday morning and they don't see a diverse mix of faces or a diverse mix of experience and I mean that from 
ability, education, you know, find financial background, whatever it is, not just race. But what can employers and team leaders do as well? to try and be more inclusive and maybe open up mentorship uh, possibilities or, you know, engage with different organisations such as yourself so people can broaden the net a little bit further, perhaps? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I think what you said there about engaging with organisations is a great starting point. Like AP and I are always open to have that dialogue with with companies as we're all a group of professionals from different backgrounds and different industries and that's what our members are like um, seeking and what would create a more inclusive um, company and workforce and also internally in the companies just implementing a lot of programs internally to be able to allow the staff members who are from diverse backgrounds to be able to share their thoughts in a safe space and their minds of how the company perhaps has fallen by the wayside in inclusion and diversity and how they can be um how it can be improved and also kind of just looking to um their neighbors in different countries to see what they're doing but i think um the most important thing is that it has to be something that's really something that the company wants to do um, for the benefit of the company and not something that's like, I guess a tick the box exercise or anything like that and for the company kind of to understand the benefit of having a diverse um, workforce both in race in thought in different things like this because um, since we're becoming such a globalized world and we're dealing with different people from different countries it's only a benefit for your company to reflect this too. Well I think the work that you're doing is fantastic the event sounds great uh, again it's going to be taking place it's completely free on the 13th of October in uh, the LinkedIn Notions very swanky offices in Dublin you can find more information if you just search for African Professional Network Ireland. Uh, Lizzie and Trina, thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thanks so much, Jess. And that is all we have time for this week. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back in full on the News Talk app powered by Go Loud. I'll be back with Shane and Kira on Monday's News Talk Breakfast. But John Friday's up next here with Screen Time. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.